0: Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Matthew 7 verse 21 down to verse 23 and I am using the international version. Here is the reading. Not everyone who says to me to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I will never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. May God bless the reading. I was looking for a graphic that would go with the series of lessons that uh, we've been doing uh, Jay and Sean have planned a series of lessons and we've been talking about the church. And the last few lessons have been kind of looking at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5 to 7, uh, and some have summarized the idea of the Sermon on the Mount as kingdom living. And you look at those three chapters and it really is true and, you know, it talks about the kind of personality or character we have in the Beatitudes, uh, introduces us to prayer, and to our priorities. But then, in the closing section, verses 13 to 21 of chapter 7, there's a series of contrasts, and that's kind of where we have been the last few weeks. Uh, the wide and narrow gates, and I thought, wow, that picture really is kind of uh, uh, perfect. It's a narrow gateway and a big stone wall. But it's not easy to get to because you've got to go up about 13 steps to get there. There's no handrails. You know, you've got to really want to get there to get through that. And then we've talked about the good and bad trees, their fruit, and the kind of teachers that they represent. And I think next week the lesson is going to be talking about the wise and foolish builders. You know which is characterized by that well known well loved children 's song, you know the wise man built his house upon the rock uh, so in the middle of this, as a paragraph, right after talking about the uh, the fruit and before the the builders, there's a section. Three verses that we just read. And Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's powerful. And so what we want to do this morning is to look at the idea of, as Jesus is, is showing it, who will enter the kingdom. One of the things that I kind of put into a little short bite for the uh, email that goes out is that everybody wants, if they think about it, to go to heaven, right? I mean, what's interesting is I've been to a number of funerals for people who were just downright rascals, and they sounded like saints. You know, there's never a funeral for you know, oh man, he was just a horrible sinner. There's no question that he's going to burn for eternity. You know, you don't hear that at the funeral. Oh, he was just such a nice guy. You know, it's like when somebody does a mass killing in in the media, and the neighbors say, "Oh, he was just such a nice guy." Well, Jesus wants to challenge us, and I think this whole section that's built around it is designed to kind of shake us a little bit into thinking about. The fact that while many people expect and assume that they're going to enter the kingdom, and understand that, as has been pointed out, is that the kingdom is the church. That if we are Christians, we are now part of the kingdom. There is an eternal heavenly phase that is to come, but the kingdom was established when Jesus died on the cross. That's what he said to his apostles, Mark 9.1. There are some standing here that will not taste death until they see the kingdom come with power. When I've had people argue with me about when the kingdom comes, we've talked about that verse, and I said, well, you know, we kind of have to look at it this way. Either Jesus was wrong, or there are some 2,000-year-old men running around, or you're, you're wrong. You know, it's not something you want to have to say to people, but we kind of need to be listening to the Scripture, we need to listen to the Bible, to God's Word, and stop listening to the TV evangelists. So, who will enter the kingdom? Now, let's first think about the idea of exclusive and inclusive language. You know, in a way we're familiar with that. Remember as kids, we had clubs in our neighborhood. Sometimes we built a little clubhouse, this little hut out in the woods. We had had really good woods when I was in elementary school. And we had one rule. No girls. Well, that's exclusive, isn't it? That you're immediately eliminating some people, and it's based on kind of a personal preference or prejudice. It's not necessarily very smart, you know. And we live in a in a world where uh, people are trying to. Find and eliminate some of these prejudices to make things more inclusive. You know, one of the issues of the early church was the mentality of Jewish Christians who had lived all their lives seeing the Gentiles as being unclean and unacceptable to God. And now, the, Jesus and the apostles are saying, We are all God's people. And everyone, you know, the way Paul put it in his speech on Mars Hill in Athens, that God is not a respecter of persons, but men of every nation who fear him are acceptable to him. So it's important for us to kind of get the the, the sense that This is not going to be an arbitrary elimination of people that is unfair. But yet there is an exclusion. So, if Jesus says, everyone will enter, then that means all will. You know, if I made an offer to everyone that's here, I'm not. (laughs) But that would include every person that's here. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter male, female, adult, child. That's called inclusive. But when Jesus says, not everyone who, he is saying that there are some who will and some who will not enter the kingdom. That suggests that this is something that we really need to pay very close and careful attention to. Because I don't know about you, I want to be in that first group that will. Not among those who will not. But there's two questions that I think are logical to come along with this. Who has the right to say? You know, one of the things sometimes when we're talking about the the Bible... And, and sharing passages like, you know, in Romans where Paul says that all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And I've had people say, well, that's just your opinion. Uh, wait a minute. I didn't write that. <laughs> I didn't say that. That comes from the Apostle Paul, and that ultimately comes from God. So, we need to recognize that the who is saying this, and who decides, is not us, but it is God. And the second question is, on what basis? I don't like your hairstyle. You're not going to make it. Or all bald people are not going to make it sorry glenn we have a standard god's word reveals to us some very important things and and jesus i think and the new testament make it really really clear so let's so if jesus is the one who determines this we kind of You know, and we've been doing a lot over the last few weeks about who is Jesus. Well, he's Lord of the universe. He's king of the kingdom. He's head of the church. He has purchased the church with his blood. He's head of his body. The body. You getting a picture here? how Jesus is the one who's in a position. Uh, One of the concepts in the word Lord, which uh, the Greek word kurios, sometimes transliterated more with a a Y than a a U, uh, kurios as it's brought into English, is translated, translated as Lord. But when a servant called his master or owner, Lord. It had the effect of saying that you are my owner. I belong to you. And you know, you think about that relationship of servant to Lord. That's a pretty powerful expression or idea that talks about what right and power and authority the master had Over the servant. And sometimes we think of the word absolute. Uh, Jesus said in the Great Commission Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Jesus speaking. That's not me speaking. He has it all. He is the one that gets to decide who's going to be part of the kingdom and who is not. And so that's one of the things we really need to keep in mind as we talk about this. Because, you know, there are always people that want to disagree with what the Bible says. And understand you're disagreeing with God, with Jesus. There are going to be consequences to that, even if you don't like it or you don't accept it. It's there. So, the Bible, the New Testament, uses some exclusive language. I'm just going to give you three examples that I think are really interesting uh, that Jesus and the apostles used to talk about that place that Jesus has. So, Jesus says in John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You know, the easiest, shortest way to say that is only by Jesus can we come to God. There's no other way. Human beings say, oh, there's many ways to God. Well, there are many ways to things that people worship as gods, to deities they create and that they serve. But Jesus is saying there is only one way to the Creator, to the Father. And that's Jesus. Peter and the apostles had the courage to stand up to the Jewish leaders who were opposing the message of Jesus and threatening those who were trying to carry that message. And Peter says... But there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Do you think those Jewish leaders liked that message? Do you think they approved it? Oh, that's wonderful. No, they thought in their hearts, we've got to kill these guys because they are messing things up for us. We don't like it. But see, that's where Jesus' authority comes in, and, and they're proclaiming it. And the third one is in Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews makes a very interesting point. He says that though Jesus was a son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Now, that right there is fascinating to me. Jesus, part of the Godhead, the Son of God who came to earth, To give his life on the cross, Jesus, who is Lord, master of everything, had to learn to obey. And you think about parents, it's one of the things we had to do with our children, wasn't it? We had to teach them to obey, there's a submission. And Jesus gave himself, Paul says that he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men. He died on the cross for us, for our sins. So, right there, there's a very clear picture that the New Testament, there are other passages we could look at, but we want to just kind of make that point and emphasize that that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Master. Jesus is the only way to God and to eternal life. It does not come in a kit that you make. And do it yourself. It's through the the Son of God. And so, entrance to the kingdom is not based on entitlement. You know, that's one of the things about the Jewish religious leaders. We are religious leaders of God's chosen people. We are automatically going to be part of the kingdom. And when Jesus said, no, you're not, they got really upset, didn't they? Why? Because it's not an entitlement. We live in a world where we see people in many different ways that that, that live out the idea of entitlement. It doesn't work here. It's not based on inheritance. You know, it it doesn't matter that you were born into a Jewish family as part of God's chosen people. It doesn't matter if your great-grandparents were Christians. It comes down to whether you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Whether his way is your way. It's not based on nominalism. What do I mean? Well, you notice what Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. There are a lot of people that call Jesus Lord. you understand that in first century terms, that was a term of respect, but not necessarily submission. How could you call somebody Lord and not, you know, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, not do what I tell you? It's inconsistent. It doesn't work. It's not based on ritualism. Yeah, I've got a relationship with God. I had some water thrown at me somewhere. It's not based on works. See, what Jesus said is these people will say, Well, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name... Perform many miracles and cast out demons. And we did all these things. We, and that goes back to the first one. We're entitled. Look at all the good, you know, and you think about it oh, I've done a lot of good stuff. It's kind of like the rich young ruler, isn't it? Who says, What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer basically is well, take all your stuff and sacrifice it. Get rid of it. Take those things that are competing for loyalty in your heart and remove them from your life. And human beings say, oh no, I didn't want to be that serious about it. So Jesus' response here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but... He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, what is Jesus talking about? If it's not by works, if it's not by ritual, if it's not by entitlement, if it's not by heredity, what does he mean by saying, whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven. All I think there are three quick points we can make here. One of them is repentance. And when we start talking about repentance, we're not talking about feeling bad about what you've done. That may be a small part of it. Paul talked about the Corinthians who were grieved by the correction that he had given them. But he said, you were grieved... To the point you repent it. So repentance is not the grief. We deal with people. All of us. Who feel bad when they do wrong but given another opportunity, what do they do? They do it again. So there are a couple passages here. One of them is Acts 17.30. And Paul speaking to The Athenians says God commands all everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. That is who? Jesus Christ. See, he's the way. He's the standard. And if we're not there with him and in his standard, we can feel bad about what we've done, but does that get us where we want to go? All right, the other one is 2 Peter 3.9. And we like to quote this one. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that right there, that has always been one of those verses that always reminds me of how important it is that we understand God does not take delight in punishment. He's not a sadist. He's not cruel or mean. But He is righteous. And so what God has done is everything He can to encourage human beings to come to Him and to change their heart. The word repent literally means in English and in Greek the idea of, of thinking again, of a changed mind. And we don't change our minds, and so we don't change how we think. See, it's feeling bad so that we change our minds and our lives. So after repenting, the other way we want to talk about is, is to believe. Put our faith in Christ. I see. This is where that word "nominal" comes in, because "nominal" actually means that it's a name only. It's just you know, and and as you're talking about a measurement, you know, sometimes you may you may be making something and you're measuring it, and you may say, "Well, it's close. It's it's nominal difference." Okay, you want to go up in a rocket ship that was built according to nominal standards. Oh, there's a little crack here, but it's nominal. Um, I don't think so. The writer of Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's not going to happen. And then the third one that we want to touch on is obedience. Obedience is not just the slavish adherence to rules. But it is that which comes from the heart and from the faith and the repentance, the changed mind. It is a response to God and his love. You know, when you think about what God has done for us and what he offers to us. Why would we ever say to him? Well, God, I know how much you love me and I know how much you did for me, but I really don't want to do that. Writer of Hebrews says that Jesus, that's the he, became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. All who put their lives on the way that Jesus created. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, uh, Mark's account, Mark 16, 15, and 16, Jesus says, go through all the world and preach the gospel. Whoever believes, you know, see there's an all whoever believes, all who believe and are baptized will be Saved. I can't believe how many people I've talked to in my life who argue that idea. If Jesus said it, why not accept it? If Jesus is Lord, why not obey it? And then the second part of that says, he who does not believe will be condemned. And they go, oh, it doesn't say who's not baptized. Well, if you don't believe, you're not going to be baptized, right? How foolish we can be. So, who will enter the kingdom? Let's go back to the question we started with. Well, I think you look at that section of the Sermon on the Mount, who will enter the kingdom? Those who have taken the narrow way. I I love this picture. You know, I went through hundreds of pictures of gates. And I thought, oh, this is cool because the gate is way up there, about 13 steps up there. There's no handrails. I wonder how many people would get to a thing like that and look at it and say, oh, nope, nope, not going to do that. But Jesus says the way is gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to eternal life. How badly do people want to get through that gate? How badly do people want to get with Christ? Secondly, those who are good trees with good fruit. That's the second part of that, that section in Matthew 7. And then next week we'll be talking about uh, those who wisely build their lives on God's Word. See, those who are hearers of the Word and, and not building on the shifting sands of the world around them, but on the rock. And I think that's the title for next week is building on the rock. So therefore it is those who truly love and follow Christ. So, before we have our closing song, just one question. Who will enter the kingdom? Will you? Based upon what Jesus has said. Be thinking about that as we stand and sing our closing song.